Hello and welcome to the Being Well podcast. My name is Forrest Hansen. In this episode, we're going to be tackling a pretty big topic, which is how do you deal with your own mind? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Something, or yeah, just a, a small topic. So as you can hear, I'm joined as always by Dr. Rick Hansen. Dad, how you doing? Excellent, Forrest. I'm really glad to be here. So I often hear you use phrases like dealing with the mind, yeah. specifically being with your mind or working with your mind different elements of something bad happens, and then what do you do about it? But when you say that phrase, uh, dealing with the mind, what are you really talking about in kind of a, a practical sense? Yeah. So people are really used to the idea of the world around us doing things in the world around us to try to make things better. Like, as you know, sure. I'm clearing out our garage these days and trying yeah. to make it better. Uh, you're a really good cook. You're trying to make what you cook better. We're mm -hmm. used to that idea. But simultaneously, we're having experiences. And what can we do with the experiences, the thoughts we're actually having, the feelings we're having, the desires we're having or not having, to nudge them in a better direction? That's the territory of dealing with your mind. And just realizing that you can do things to deal with your own mind is actually a breakthrough for many people. Mm. Many people are real clear that the conditions and circumstances around them are opportunities for intervention in one way or another. Yeah, you get a you can you can work harder at work and get yeah. a promotion. Something goes wrong in a relationship, you can be nicer to the other person. Yeah. You can try to fix it. That's right. You can be uh, a cause there. You could be uh, the cue ball rather than the eight ball yeah. out there in the world. But many many people regard their own thoughts, feelings, moment to moment experiences as something they're just stuck with, for better or worse. And they have to ride that wave. But there's nothing they can do about the mm. wave they're on. And there's nothing they could do to paddle and find a different, better wave, perhaps. And so when I talk about dealing with the mind, that's what I'm talking about. Being in some ways deliberate and responsible and intentional in your relationship to the thoughts, the feelings, the sensations, the desires, etc. that are happening inside your own experience. And that's a profound thing. The essence of self-reliance is this idea of being resourceful. So it's agency. We, yeah, agency. Yeah. When we talk mm -hmm. about uh, dealing with the mind, we're talking about being resourceful with it, not a victim of it, but someone who over time is trying to help it become better. Yeah, and we covered that to a certain extent in our last episode focused on mindfulness, the idea that by being mindful, you can become more of an agent of change in your life because you notice the places where you have an opportunity to inject some choice. Is that about right? Totally right. Yep. Okay, makes total sense. So in that context, you're talking about ways that we can handle the stuff in our brain. There are kind of three different ways that you think about dealing with the mind. So would you mind just giving a quick summary yeah. of what those three ways are? Yeah. If you want to make something better, if you want to be happier, stronger, wiser, more loving, less stressed, less anxious, etc., you want to make it better, there are all these methods, and I've experienced many of them, in clinical psychology, human potential movement, self-help, the spiritual traditions, coaching, uh, executive training. The whole soup to nuts. Yeah, everything. The bottom line, though, is that you can sort all those methods into three piles. Okay. The first pile has to do with simply being able to accept your experience as it is, feel the feelings, uh, let things be. In other words, just be with what's happening. Mm -hmm. In the process of being with what's happening, it might change, but you're not deliberately trying to nudge it. The second great way to relate to your own thoughts, feelings, experience is to let go, 
to reduce the negative. In other words, to let, for example, tension drain out of your body, mm -hmm. to vent feelings, to challenge thoughts that make you crazy or make other people crazy, don't seem true or useful or wise. Uh, also, you can let go of desires that are problematic, uh, wanting too many cookies and other kinds of sure. desires. So you can let go, you can release. Mm -hmm. And then the third great category of methods for making things better inside yourself is to let in, to cultivate, to grow, to develop in a variety of ways, to help yourself grow the good inside yourself, such as the good of mindfulness or the good of compassion. Whatever else it might be that you want to yep. grow. Yeah, the metaphor to wrap up is I use the idea of a garden. Great. And I think you can witness the garden. If your mind is like a garden, your brain mm -hmm. and mind are like a garden, you can simply witness it, for better or worse. I'm being with it. Second, you can pull weeds. Mm -hmm. And third, you can plant flowers. Yeah. All of them are really important. They all work together. And yet people very often get stuck in just one of them. Uh, for example, when I was younger, when I was young like you, uh, I was really good at letting go. I just ugh, didn't want to feel any pain. Sure. Yeah. But I needed to learn over time how to let in, and especially I needed to learn how to let be. I was not very strong at just being with my own mind. As I grew older I, and I got more exposed to mindfulness and meditation and those kind of practices, I got better at simply being able to be with the mind. On the yeah. other hand, I know a lot of people who are great meditators and are neurotic assholes. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. Yeah. And they're really good at witnessing the stream of consciousness rolling by. And it's as full of old beer bottles and dirty shoes and junky yeah. cars yeah. as it ever has been. Sure. So they're, they're not actually digging into the state of their mind and trying to do something to impact it in a positive way. Yeah, that's exactly right. They're, not, they're being with it. They're good at being with it, but they're not very good at working with it. Yeah. They're not, in a sense, engaging what long ago the Buddha called the two aspects of wise effort, where okay. you're trying to prevent or reduce or abandon entirely what's negative, quote-unquote, what's harmful and painful for yourself and typically mm -hmm. others too. And the other aspect of wise effort he laid out was to create or protect or increase whatever is positive and wholesome inside you. Great. So earlier you mentioned mindfulness and how you were pretty bad at being with your own experience. Yeah. I didn't want to be with my experience because my experience hurt. Yeah, sure. Yeah, exactly. And I think that that's true for a lot of people. Yeah. And that's something that you've described in the past as the idea of this trapdoor in the mind. Yeah. And you open up the trapdoor to kind of the ugly basement where all the stuff is buried. Mm. And that can be a pretty painful experience yeah. for a lot of people, as it was for you. Yeah. And in the beginning, especially. Yeah, particularly the first time that you start going through these processes. Yeah. So you mentioned mindfulness and finding mindfulness and kind of becoming better at those kinds of practices. It makes a lot of sense to me how that would apply to that idea of witnessing. Mm. But I think it's a little bit less intuitive how mindfulness can apply to that second category of things the where you're really actively working with the mind as you'll describe it where you're letting things go or taking new positive things in so would you mind explaining how mindfulness helps you with those two other steps yeah it's great so the first way to relate to your own mind or engage it or deal with it is uh, one in which very little except mindfulness is present Mm -hmm. And that has led people to equate, mistakenly, mindfulness as only being or being equal to just being with your mind, just witnessing it in a kind of passive and inert way. 
And that's a deep misunderstanding of what mindfulness actually is, because as you're saying, when we're, for example, letting go of thoughts that are not true or make us feel bad, beliefs, for example, that it's our fault that other people are alcoholic or that we're not a good person. I I met Mm. with a woman earlier today who believes that it's her responsibility to make others happy and that her, her own happiness doesn't matter. In order to let go of something, to release it, to reduce it, maybe you're also trying to kind of disentangle yourself from a tendency to be impatient or irritable with Mm -hmm. other people. I tend to get irritable with people who stand in doorways in public events and talk to their (laughs) new best friend. I think that everyone gets irritable with that person, to be honest with you. I'm working on it. I mean, look, if you're not a saint, you get mad about two things. You get mad about people standing in doorways, Mm -hmm. and you get mad about people driving slowly in the left lane. Um, Right, And if you don't don't get mad about those two things, then (laughs) this podcast is not the place for you because you've already, you're you're far (laughs) beyond it. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, so to do that, though, to let go of those things, you got to be aware of your own mind. You have to be mindful of mm-hmm. what's happening in it, and then you have to be mindful of how skillful or effective your own internal efforts are. Uh, without hmm. sustained mindfulness, you can't learn anything from how you're interacting with your own mind. So would you say that letting be is more about diagnosis and then letting go and taking in are more about solving the problem, you're diagnosing the patient, then you're performing surgery. Is that an analogy that you think is fair, or would you finesse that a little bit? That's a very cool analogy. I would tend to keep the distinction sharp Mm -hmm. in that when you're being with the mind, you're not actively trying to nudge it one way or another. On the other hand, when you're Mm -hmm. working with the mind, you're actively making efforts to reduce what's quote-unquote negative and grow what's positive, Mm -hmm. okay? As you try to reduce what's negative and grow what's positive, you gather diagnostic information. Okay. Intervention is diagnostic, if you think about it, because it tells you things. Oh, if the drug works, maybe, for example, it suggests what really was the problem, Mm -hmm. Um, or if you do an intervention and it doesn't work, sometimes it suggests that your understanding of the problem is, is is wrong. So I would say both of them, just simply being with the mind, you can learn about it, but you can learn a lot about your mind by making efforts inside it. In fact, that's often when you start bumping into invisible walls that you didn't realize were there, but become apparent to you when you're actively turning over stones and trying to pull weeds and plant flowers. So earlier you described working with a person who felt like other people's happiness was their real responsibility mm-hmm. while their own happiness was just kind of not as important. Yeah. So what could a person who was like that yeah. do to kind of deal with that material that was in their mind? How would you actually yeah. work through that with somebody or advise somebody how they could work through yeah, it Yeah, in these three ways. What's really nice about this model, watch the garden, pull weeds, plant flowers is that it gives you a nice roadmap for working through material. Hmm. And so let's suppose that a person is grappling with this really common issue in which they feel somehow it's their job to deliver the goods to other people in massive ways, which is important, but that compared to that, their own happiness just doesn't matter that much. All right, what can you do? So first, be with it. You could 
explore that as an experience. You could kind of unpack it. Uh, we talk about different aspects of experience. So you have the sensations. What's it feel like in your body to have that attitude toward your own needs or to feel burdened or pressured or responsible uh, for how other people feel or to feel guilty if for some reason they criticize you for not taking care of them uh, enough. You could feel the body sensations. You could be with the emotions related to that attitude. Um, you could be with the thoughts. You could explore and investigate all this. In particular, you're opening to your experience. You're not trying mm -hmm. to suppress anything. You're not pushing anything away. You're trying to relax and let everything that you're experiencing be apparent to you. So not to derail you here, but how is opening to your experience different from opening to your trip? And here's what I mean by that. Like yeah. when, when something bad happens to me, my first instinct, and I think that most people's first instinct, is to kind of go to, quote-unquote, trip. You know, here's my narrative about the thing. Yep. Here's other people punishing me in some way. I'm really the victim here. And, and I think that that part of the brain is really loud. Yeah. You know, that's, that's a very overriding part of our, our thought process. For me, if I think about opening up to my experience, my experience might be one that's filled with that voice. That blame very unpleasant and blame and Exactly, and... yeah evil whatever so so yeah. how do we open to kind yeah. of the the softer deeper truer feeling rather than getting kind of subverted by that voice yeah that's where uh, what we talked about in the previous podcast is really important the capacity to step back mm. from your own reactions so one way to to operate in life is to be identified with your reactions. We know people in life who, when they have a reaction, they just dump it everywhere and they feel entitled to do that. When I talk about being with your own experience, I'm talking about taking a step back from it, not to detach from it in a Spock-like, you know, mechanical, numb sort of way, mm -hmm. but rather to, in effect, step out of the movie of your experience to 20 rows back with popcorn, look it up on the screen and go, wow, that really sucks up there. Great. Or, whoa, that's really explosive. Or, wow, so much is going on right there. Mm -hmm. So you're detached from it. Uh, if you think about it, it's kind of like there are three ways, in effect, uh, three different kinds of ways uh, to relate to your experience. One way is one in which I'm very familiar with from my history where you just shut down. Mm. You shove it down you repress your yeah. experience. And as Freud talked about, there is inevitably, one way or another, the return of the repressed. Or as I joke about it, the mind is not a flush toilet. It's more like a septic tank. <laughs> you can't just push it away and it disappears forever. Yeah. It sticks around. So it's not effective to just shove it down, even mm -hmm. though that's one of the ways. The second way people operate is they could just dump everything kind of vomited out, erupt volcanically, acted out, utterly identified with their own feelings and thoughts and attitudes and mm -hmm. desires, believing every thought they have. That's not very good either. The third way is to be able to have the steadiness of mind and the inner resources of calm and understanding why you're doing this and feeling like you've got allies who are with you inside you uh, who care about you as you fully feel the feelings while also witnessing them and not necessarily acting them out. That sounds a lot harder than the other two. 
Yes, it is. That's why we listen to this podcast and get good at this. We get better uh, at to, this. Not to make the obvious joke, but you know that one sounds a little bit more difficult than the other. Yeah, others. and it especially is challenging, but also it's revelatory, and you start to feel like you're reclaiming your own interior. You're be- mm. you're becoming known to yourself. You're you're coming home to yourself. So that person who was dealing with their experience in their way, that's letting be. Yep. So what's the next step? Okay, great. So now let's say, well, one last point. Uh, a key aspect of being with the mind is being able to sense beneath the surface. Mm, the mind mm-hmm. is like a parfait. On mm-hmm. the top are, are superficial reactions like anger or righteousness or uh, self-doubt. Underneath that surface, though, are softer, more fundamental, and often younger layers and that shape our moment-to-moment reactions. So as we be with the mind and sense down to the deeper and deeper layers, uh, the more surfacey layers start making more sense to us, and we become uh, more able to be less hijacked by them because we start to understand, oh, underneath this anger is hurt, Mm. or underneath this um, desire for vengeance is uh, childhood material going back to grade school and younger of feeling mistreated by powerful people. Uh, So when you start understanding how the deeper layers of your psyche are like a turbocharger or a preamp in the music system that take an event that wasn't great, maybe on the zero to 10 yuck scale it was a two, but it hits that preamp and gets jacked up to a nine or a 10. Mm -hmm. So as you be with and sense down into these deeper, younger, softer, more fundamental layers, uh, you start to become more able to be in control of the preamp rather than it controlling you. Second way to practice with the mind is to let it go. So this person could step back from beliefs that somehow it's their duty to take care of other people and that trying to do things for themselves is selfish or vain or even sinful. A person could step back from beliefs like that and challenge them. There's a lot of cognitive mm, therapy mm-hmm. methods, by the way, that are about this. And literally, one of the very effective methods is you take a belief, like, uh, it's my fault that others are unhappy, right? Yeah. Whoa. Uh, or it's my job to rescue my cousin. Mm-hmm. And you put the belief on the piece of paper, you draw a line down the middle of the paper, you put the belief on one side, and then you list three or more rebuttals you actually believe in on the other side of the column that challenge okay. the belief. People use language like pathogenic beliefs or depressogenic beliefs, uh, the thoughts that make us nutty and sad and often lead us to harm others too. So, so that's a physical practice that you can do to facilitate the process of letting go. Exactly. That would be one example. Another example is to just let tension drain out of your body. Uh, As you track the sensations of the upset, you could let them out of your body or move. So for example, instead of approaching others with your shoulders hunched forward and you kind of lean down and you crunch and your your physical posture can really affect yeah, how you, you could present. Let, yeah, you could let go of that by straightening up, by shifting in some way. That was that would be another example of letting go. Sometimes people will do very ritualistic kinds of things where they'll uh, they'll write an angry letter to someone that they'll never send. Uh, you can get really exotic about this. Use your non-dominant hand, which for me was my left hand. Huh. Uh, you know, I've done things like this with crayon in your left hand held in a fist. F! 
you. Sure. <laughs> you just lay it out. Okay, okay, but you're not going to send it. You're not mm-hmm. going to send it. And then do whatever you want. Cut it in small pieces, burn it, and throw the ashes to the wind. Let it go. Forgiveness, which we'll get into later in this yeah. podcast, is a form of that kind of letting go. Forgiving others, forgiving yourself. All right, letting go. So why your non-dominant hand? There's something about using your non-dominant hand uh-huh. that tends to pull you out of, and t- technically, well, here we go, a lot of the evolution of planning is related to the evolution of language, both of which are se- sequential. So we have fine motor planning uh, that enables us to throw a spear, let's say back on the Serengeti at some running animal, uh, which also enables us, and that kind of sequential processing enables us to speak and use language. So for okay. most people, uh, those uh, executive planning systems and language systems, both comprehension of language and production of language, are located in the left hemisphere of the brain, uh, which controls the right side of the body. On the oh, whole. okay. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, so, well, on the other side of the brain, the other hemisphere, and this is switched for left-handed for most left for some to most left-handed people, but it's a, basically the same idea. Sure. On your uh, right hemisphere, for most people, that's involved with emotion, mm. especially negative emotion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the right hemisphere, as a detail, has a developmental head start over the left hemisphere in the first year or two of childhood. Because oh, okay. if you think about it, uh, our children, and then uh, Stone Age children, and then hominid mm-hmm. children, and then primate children. Soon as they're born, they've got to track their surround. And associated loosely with the right hemisphere are more negative emotions. Mm. The left hemisphere is more associated loosely with positive emotions, interestingly. Hmm. So, long story short, when people who are, say, normally right-handed switch to using their left hand, that tends to lower activation of the left hemisphere, which is involved with logic sequence, planning, Mm -hmm. and therefore tends to be involved with suppressing Mm. uh, how we feel. On the other hand, when you're using that, say, left hand, your non-dominant hand for most people, that engages your right hemisphere, which is more of a tapped-in highway to the deeper, darker, more vulnerable, more emotional, non-verbal material. So it kind of weirdly aids self-expression if you're trying to get down to the bottom of the basement to experience it out, Mm -hmm. to release it out. You can't release something unless you experience it on the way out the door. Mm. It's really important. The good news is you don't have to fully experience the original horror show, but you do have to feel some version of it on the way out the door. So that kind of gets back to what you were saying a second ago about with Freud and the return of the repressed. Right. And if you keep on pushing it down, it's just going to keep on bubbling back up. Yeah. And this is a way to, in the second way to deal with your mind, this is a very skillful way to release it bit by bit. Now, for many people, it's not appropriate to try to pop open, to rip off the whole scab. Sure, no, rip the no, whole no. bandaid off. Yeah, yeah. First of all, do no harm. Be careful. Mm-hmm. I've used the metaphor that I landed in adulthood with what felt like a bucket of tears. Mm. And I could, I could only empty it a spoonful at a time. More than that was just overwhelming. And there are people who've had much worse childhoods than I had, much worse lives than I've had in terms of difficulty. So it's really important. I'm not saying here to just blah, primal scream it all out the door. Do it in a judicious way. Sometimes five seconds at a time. 
you're tapping into what's there and you're releasing it. Then maybe six seconds, then 10 seconds, then maybe a whole minute. You're helping yourself move along the way. So be good to yourself. So that's how we can release some of those mm-hmm. feelings, release some of that negative material yep. to kind of round it all out. How would we start to take in the positive material yeah. you're talking about uh, taking in or letting in? Mm-hmm. So let's think back to this person. Let's suppose someone doesn't feel that their needs um, have much standing. So let's say this person then has bead with, you know, witnessed (laughs) that material, investigated it, explored it, unpacked it, uncovered it. All right. Second, this person has deliberately released aspects of it, let go of them. Then the person needs to replace what they've released, Mm. with the positive alternative to it. Many, many methods in self-help, psychology, coaching, et cetera, focus only on the first two of these great ways to deal with your mind. Mm -hmm. There's good awareness these days about how to self-knowledge, how to be with your mind, how to get to know yourself. Yeah, through mindfulness Mm -hmm. and other things, uh, self-acceptance and Mm -hmm. so on. And there's a certain amount of uh, attention to uh, let go of your old patterns, uh, you know, step out of the shadow of those old beliefs. Okay, fine. But what about growing the good to replace the bad? Because as any gardener knows, you pull those weeds. If you don't put flowers back, the weeds will return. Okay. So in this case, what the person could do deliberately is, for example, look for useful, true thoughts related to the the fact that your own needs matter too. For example, the thought that, well, if I don't put my own oxygen mask on first, I can't help anybody else, as the airlines say. Or the thought that, wait a second, it's a matter of justice. Everybody's needs matter it's weird for me to think that my needs don't have the same standing as other people do. I'm not saying that my needs matter more, but why should they matter less? There's something wrong about that. That's unjust. If I had a friend who said to me, my needs don't matter at all, I tried to convince my friend that she was wrong or he was wrong. It's not fair. Well, I can do that to myself. I can start to adopt the viewpoint that I matter too, right? So I could grow that in myself. Or maybe there are feelings of warmth and kindness for myself rather than a kind of harsh, punishing pressure to always do more to make others around me happy. Instead of that, I I could replace that pushy, self-critical pressure with self-compassion, with uh, encouragement, with a feeling that I've already done many, many, many good things to help other people. I've done a lot already. The balance sheet of my good deeds compared to bad deeds is so overwhelming in favor of good deeds that I am allowed now, I've earned the right to take some for myself. Right? You could help that feeling sink in. Or just finishing up, maybe one thing that you want to grow inside yourself is more comfort in asserting yourself and saying what you really need to say with other people. Like, no, I'm not going to rescue you this time. Mm, Uh, You need to get yourself out of this pickle. Or, no, it's not my job to just listen to you every time you call me, and but you don't have time to listen to me Mm -hmm. as my friend. No, that's unfair. And we're going to reset that. So a person can grow a skill 
or a behavioral tendency, an action tendency. That's a very important kind of thing to grow as well. And a person could, for example, grow that by practicing with a mirror first or yeah, writing okay. a letter mm-hmm. or, or writing a, a few drafts of an email to send before finally getting the <laughs> diplomatic yet firm. I've definitely lived that life before. Final draft, yeah. And so there too, you're growing something useful and strong and good inside yourself. So that's it in a nutshell. And just to finish, these three steps often work together. So for Mm, example, mm -hmm. as we've said, to be able to work with your mind, you got to be able to be with it. But to be able to tolerate being with your mind, you often need to let go of certain things like shaming yourself for the, the truth of your own experience what it really feels like to be you. And also you need to work with the mind in terms of growing the ability to witness your experience without being swept away by it and uh, and related capacities like stepping back from it. What's also true is that as you work through these steps, you be with what's there, and then when it feels right, you move on to letting go. Mm -hmm. And then when that feels right, you move on to letting in. Then often in a deepening spiral, you're ready to be with the even deeper layer, the next deepest yeah. layer of material, mm-hmm. which you then be with, let go, let in, which then enables you to really get all the way down to the tip of the root. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. So to give a quick recap of some of the things that we covered today, we were covering primarily the three big ways that we can deal with our mind, let be, let go, and let in. We described how mindfulness can aid all three steps of that process, not just the kind of spacious stepping back that exists in let be, but also the direct working with, as you like to say, that takes place when we're letting go of negative material and bringing in more positive material. Uh, You covered some great ways in all three of those steps that a person could practically apply them with some kind of challenging thought, concept, Um, something problematic, a bad thing happens to you, then what happens next? These three stages are a great place to go to deal with any kind of problematic material that happens to exist in your life right now. In our next episode, we're going to explore our three fundamental needs and ways where practically in the flow of everyday life, you can feel safer, more satisfied, and more connected to others. So dad, until then, thanks for joining me. Great. 